This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi, Mama. Erica here. I'm popping in because I know that the holidays are upon us. And for some, it's a really exciting time, while others, especially those who have boundary violators in their life, might find navigating the holidays with family a little bit difficult and challenging. So I'm here to tell you about my boundaries workshop. This workshop is presented by Dr. Asharina Reem, Psyched Mummy and I, where we define your boundaries, help you to assess your own boundaries, determine what they are, understand which boundaries are negotiable versus non-negotiable, help you avoid common boundary myths and mistakes, and provide you with tangible and practical scripts for how to set your boundaries especially with those boundary violators who like to overstep when you have set a boundary in the past. So if you are struggling with boundary setting with family members and are feeling anxious heading into the holidays, make sure to check out our new boundaries workshop, happyasamother.co slash boundaries. That's happyasamother.co slash boundaries. In our parenting tool belt, the impact that our capacity has on the amount of screen time that we use, and boundaries and considerations when thinking about limiting screen time or the amount of screen time that you want to have in your home. This is a really practical and much-needed episode for parenting during a pandemic. So get your notebook, get your cup of tea, get ready to go on your stroller walk, mama. Let's dive on into this episode with Dr. Elizabeth. Actually, hold that thought. Before diving in, I want to read our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Lizette 9 and it is titled, Saved Me Mentally and Emotionally. Finding this podcast has been a lifesaver. I've fallen into a depression, rage, and full of anxiety even 15 months after having my daughter. But Erica and some of her guests and episodes give me a sense of hope. Her voice is so calming. Also hearing her on my way to work and to and from work has made my car rides so much more enjoyable and less stressful. I have recommended her to quite a few friends. Thank you. Keep up saving moms one day at a time. Oh my goodness. This is such a powerful review. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I am honored to be with you guys on your car rides to work, on your stroller walk, while you sit and stare outside and write in your journal. However it is that we share a time together, folding that mountain of laundry, I'm so honored that you show up here and invest in you and take this time for you. So thank you for this iTunes review and let's hear my interview with Dr. Elizabeth. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming back and joining us. We've had you here to talk about 
baby sleep and all kinds of other important topics. I love that you are able to kind of survey the research for us, bring the real truth because with sleep in particular, there's so much polarizing research and advice out there. And I feel like we're doing another one of those hot button topics today. Yes, my favorite. Yes. So thank you. Thank you again for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And you are also momming through a pandemic. So I feel like you can probably relate to some of these stresses that many moms are feeling, parents are feeling. Yes, absolutely. I think the pressure around uh, screen time and the worries about how am I going to work and keep my kids occupied while I'm in meetings is very real. And it certainly was real at our house in particular when we are not in distance learning anymore, but we were for several months with my six-year-old. And that was a real challenge, a real challenge working from home. And I know lots of parents are still doing it. Yeah, it totally. And I'm learning depends on the state, depends on the city where you are. So Toronto is still, we were in lockdown for like six to eight weeks, somewhere around Christmas. And then we moved into like a red zone, which now some things are slowly opening back up, but we were fully locked down there for a while. And it's winter time here and it uh-huh. may be difficult, right? So there's nowhere open to go. Right. Minus 20 degrees Celsius outside yeah. and screens. Like yeah. what, what are we going to do? You know, and I know that something that's come up with moms is the guilt around the screen time, because it seems to be the impression, and we're going to dive into this today. It seems to be the impression that there's a lot of research around there that is anti-screens and how bad and hurtful they are. And it makes parents scared. Like, am I hurting or ruining my kid by giving them this much screen time, right? Exactly. I, I mean, I love I think that there is such a strong parallel between the conversation that we're going to have today and the one that we had around sleep. And I think it just, it picks up on that same thread of guilt, you know, this, this mom guilt that's, that's put on us and these narratives that get formed because of an oversimplification of the research, because of like very stark polarization And I think with screens, it's become this black and white thinking that, you know, through subtle messages or overt messages that like, if you make it through the day and you're artsing and craftsing and, you know, doing pretend play and no screen time, oh, that's, that's good parenting. If you, if you are trying to nurse your baby and you put your 20 month old in front of Dora, that's bad parenting. And I think parents internalize that message. Yeah, very strongly. And um, there's so much, so much guilt, I think, that comes around screens. And much like sleep, what is missing is nuance, I think, in that conversation. Well, it's so it brings me back to this conversation. It may have been in my mentorship group, um, in my mother up group that we were talking about where we set these expectations for ourselves around screen time. Often we feel like these are informed expectations due to suggestions from Uh research or otherwise. And we can talk about what some of those might look like. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm only going to have this much here in the day and this much here in the day. But me as mom home in a pandemic is about to lose my freaking crap. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do I put on an extra bit of screen time uh-huh. or do I plow through and then end up having this like mom ragey moment at the exactly. end of the day? Like what is the least risk, lesser of the evils in terms of us making it through a pandemic? Right? Exactly. And I'm working it through with a lot of parents to see 
like there's just this, it's almost kind of feels like diet culture where like, Ooh, bad food, like food is bad. Like this all, yeah. like you said, all or nothing thinking yeah. around. Screen all time. or nothing. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And I think, yeah. you know, it's that sort of thinking is really dangerous because it just leads to guilt and it's not realistic. And like, what's fascinating, as you mentioned, like there are these guidelines and then there is like, first of all, it's where, why are those guidelines in place? Like we kind of have to look under the hood. And I think it's, there, there's different questions we should be asking. The question mm-hmm. shouldn't be yes or no to screen time, full stop. The question should be, you know, more subtle than that. Like, is there value to screen time or not? How can we find value? What is the purpose of screen time in different situations? Is it learning or is it giving us a break? Yeah. And, you know, is screen time harmful? Like those are all different questions. And I think that that, you know, having too much of a, oh, it's all good or it's all bad mentality isn't helpful because then we just end up feeling, feeling bad. And there's, there is even in the, even in the guidelines and even in the nuance and the research, there's, it's not all bad news. Well, and this is what I'm so curious about. Is all screen time equal? And, and, and this is coming out of a, a conversation that I had with a mom where like, we're comparing screen time of like FaceTiming grandparents who we can't see. Right. to watching TV, which often gets described with like this mindlessly putting our child in front of the TV. Like, right. was it all of equal quality, shall I yeah. ask? Let's start there. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. So the the short and direct answer is no, it's, it's not all equal quality. And like, what's interesting is even in the, the guidelines that some of the guidelines, by the way, the guidelines are different country to country organization to organization, you know, the World Health Organization is different than the AAP. And so that right there should tell us something. Like even the experts aren't in full agreement, which I think is a little flag that we should raise. And they've changed. But within some of the recommendations, for example, for kids under one, they'll say, oh, no screens. This is the AAP. No screens except for like FaceTiming with relatives occasionally. So like they're saying there's some difference there. The other thing is, and this this is kind of tied into that question I mentioned before, where is, is there value in screens? And there is research that shows for older kids, for kids three and older, it is possible for kids to learn from screens. And so that kind of opens us up to this thinking of about curation, like thinking about, okay, if it's true that kids can learn from screens, then, or TV shows, um, a lot of this research actually comes from Sesame Street, not new research. And we can, I can, I can talk about the specifics if that's interesting, but showing that kids can learn from screens tells us that, yeah, if we, if, if that's the goal for at least part of the screen time, then yes, what they're doing, the quality of the programming does matter if that's the goal. Mm. Now, giving a parent a break is a different goal and not a bad one, but it's a different goal. So I think that it's possible to think about the fact that all screens are not created equal because kids can learn from them. Well, even in you talking about it in that way already, it's starting to take that all or nothing thinking away from it's either screen time or not screen time. Now I'm already thinking, okay, so if we're going to have a weekend of screen time because we're in winter and lockdown, 
maybe a portion of that screen time is going to be educational. Mm -hmm. The other portion is going to be for like relaxation or me able to do some work that I need to catch up on. Like I'm already starting to see the shades of gray just in being able to identify that there is, like you said, value in certain types of screen time or certain shows or certain programming, right? Already feels like a relief from guilt, just being able to identify that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really interesting. They started, Sesame Street was created for the purpose of helping kids three to five get ready for school. That was like the whole reason it was created. Um, And you can see that and they're talking about letters, they're talking about numbers. And so they actually did really great studies. And there were independent researchers in the field of child development studying the impacts of Sesame Street as well. And they've even done some retrospective studies and and it's continued. But they've done high quality studies, randomized control trials, looking at different variables to see if there's an impact. And there was like the kids that had exposed, were exposed to Sesame Street were doing better than the kids that weren't in terms of school readiness, particularly when the show was first introduced and that kids were actually able to learn concepts from the show. And the impact, the value um, tended to be higher for kids that had less resources in their families. And that could be, this is where we start to get into the complications around research. That could be because the kids that had more resources, there are other variables that are impacting child school readiness, whether it's parent education level, whether it's the number of books in the home, whether it's the fact that the parents have high literacy. Screen time is one piece of the puzzle. There's all these other things going on. And so it's hard for us to say for better and worse oh, it's definitely this, but it, it does seem to be holding some of those other variables constant. One, that kids could actually learn from watching the program. And two, that there was an impact in terms of literacy skills, long-term uh, likelihood to get retained in school. And those benefits were particularly strong for kids that didn't have as many resources. And that could be because maybe they were less likely to get that information elsewhere, or it could be due to something else. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear sort of the flip sides or some of the positives to the research because I feel like it's very doom and gloom when it comes to screen time. It's like an interview with somebody and, and I don't know if it was off air or whatever, but the comment was kind of like the research around TV on children's brains is scary kind of thing. And I was like, scary? What do you, what do you mean scary? Like, what does that mean? You know, some of the research is scary. And so can we like, can we explore... I think that the goal for this episode today is to one, weigh out both sides of the research so that parents can be informed Mm -hmm. and to not necessarily give guidelines for best practice, but see the value and, and feel equipped to make their own decisions around the amount of screen time in their home with little guilt, knowing that we use screen time as a tool, like many other tools we use as parents in our home, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I would love to unpack some of the size of that research, though I slightly feel terrified. <laughs> no, I don't feel terrified. I actually think, I think it's not going to, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Oh, okay. Yeah. So let's first talk about this idea around learning. Cause I think that one's easier for people to get their head around first. And that's answering one specific question. Is there value in screen time? Which we talked about like the Sesame Street, the older kids can learn. 
one of the things that the research is pretty clear on is that younger kids, so kids, especially kids under one, it's a little bit fuzzy with kids one to two, don't seem to learn from screens. And there have been high quality studies that have done this in a number of ways, looking at how kids learn. There was a study where they had kids like listen to languages that weren't their own because when kids when kids are born they have the ability to take on and listen for subtleties in any language but then they become sort of adapted and and become particularly tuned to the language they hear and so they had kids listen to mandarin which includes tonal sounds that an english speaking child wouldn't normally hear and they said okay well if we expose the kids to this can they retain it can they can they discriminate between these sounds And it turns out that that exposure through the screen and they had some video with it didn't work. But having a person expose a child to it worked. So they said, okay, that's not really helping in terms of like language growth and learning. There was another study that looked at, it was showing kids tasks on video. And then this is again, kids under one. And then they were showing the same kids tasks, uh, very simple things in person. And the kids that were in person learned the tasks. The kids that watched it on video did not. And so they basically came, same thing with like, there's similar studies around vocabulary exposure and things like that. And what we know is that the research shows that generally kids under two aren't really, there's no benefit in terms of learning, air Mm -hmm. benefit in terms of learning. And like the goal around products like baby Einstein which is saying like, we're going to make your baby an Einstein genius by watching these shows. Right. That's not going to happen. Um, when I think about my two-year-old and how he learns, he's like slamming things into place to try to figure uh-huh. out the world, you know, like he's yeah. like all tactile and sensory at that age. Yeah. And so it makes sense. And so for him, it's a lot about the goal for him is a lot about entertainment, mm-hmm. singing and dancing. He can like learn dances to like go noodle, yeah. but it's more of like entertainment focus, I guess I would say. Yeah, definitely. And so what's interesting is I think this idea around learning is what drives the AAP recommendation and drives the World Health Organization recommendation, by the way, has changed. It used to be no screens for kids under two. Now it's no screens for kids under one is the recommendation. That is about opportunity cost. Basically, their logic is, okay, if there's no benefit to putting them in front of screens, then if we have them not in front of screens, they can be doing the other things they need to be doing that are so critical for development, like hearing language from a person, looking at a book from their parents, you know, moving around with their bodies and all that stuff. I think that's an oversimplification. Like that, right. that's not learning isn't the only reason parents are using screens. And so then I'm saying what you're saying is if the opportunity cost is a very cranky, stressed out parent that needs to get dinner on the table, then that's a different question. That then opens the question of, is it harmful? And that's not what's driving the who guidelines. So I think even thinking about how it's equated in parents' minds is like, I'm told not to do this. This must be bad. This is bad. Let's not use the TV as a tool as a parent. 
Exactly. Exactly. But the guidelines really come from the learning piece and this idea. Sometimes it's hard for parents to think, and we've talked about this before, to think in, in the nuance. And it's like, just tell me what to do. And I, and I get that feeling. It's like, just tell me exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it kind of de- depends. And like, it depends how old your kid is and depends what quality. And so then it's like, you know, these organizations boil it down and they give these very black and white guidelines. And like, it's more nuanced than that. And it's not like Mm -hmm. something happens on a child's first birthday where like, all of a sudden the brain is different because I woke up and I'm 12 months old. And like, it's much more subtle than that and and much more nuanced. But I think you're exactly right. It, It becomes equated with this is damaging, which is a different question in the research that I think is not as clear as the learning question. Okay. Much more money. So let's get into the mud, shall we? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So right. That big thing, the question begs, like, am I rotting my child's brain? Like, are they, you know, whatever it comes from a generation. Like I come from a generation of parents that were like, don't, don't stare at a screen all day. You're going to like hurt your eyes. Don't sit too close to a screen. Don't like whatever. So I feel like part of this narrative is even our upbringing about screens potentially, but, but then there are, there are other, I feel like it comes more from like sensory OT, like different sort of practices in areas with children and children development that push the more harmful side of screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are, if you take, if you were to just like list, I don't know, if you were to like list out the exhaustive, like any published study that says the effects of TV time, there's a lot of negative stuff. And basically they kind of cover like there are studies out there that say higher levels of screen time are correlated with lower cognitive ability, poor health, particularly around like physical fitness, poor academic achievement, lower language development. So it's not fantastic. And if, and there was a recent study, which we can talk about that looked at brain structures in fMRIs, which absolutely freaked people out. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit. I think Um, that's the one that I was hearing about particularly. Oh, yeah. I think, and it was like so ill-timed, right? In the middle of a pandemic, like this is really what moms need to hear right now. But I think it's good we're talking about it because I actually, I have some, I have some thoughts about it. Um, (laughs) So the, that might ease some guilt. So I think on the surface, it, it doesn't look great. And I think what happens is when a, when a news headline is generated, yeah. they're not going underneath the hood and looking at the study. They're just saying like this study showed a relationship between high levels of screen time and whatever it is, poor academic achievement. And like that. And so then people are like, see, screen time is bad. But if you actually went and you got the journal article and you looked at the journal article with a critical eye... Not that like, and and you didn't, and you didn't fall asleep halfway through it. Mm-hmm. You would see that there's some. A lot of these studies have some pretty significant flaws, and that's one of the things that I value about you, and why we have these conversations is that you understand and can interpret the research. Many parents are just seeing these media headlines about these studies. 
And you're like, wait a minute, but what was like the specs on this study, right? Like what really happened here and can help us to interpret. But one of the things that they drove so far deep into my brain in stats in undergrad was that correlation does not equal causation. If there's one thing I remember from stats, that is it. And so to say that it comes back to what you were saying before about the variables with like the Sesame Street or these other variables where just because the person has more screen time doesn't mean that they aren't in a lower socioeconomic status or like their parents have less literacy skills in themselves or don't have the funds to buy healthy food so their bodies are those parts of those studies are Mm -hmm. missing Right. Right. And some studies are, I mean, and it would be really boring, so I won't do this, but if you would have to go through each one and right. you know, kind of pick out like what is, what are the issues with each of these? And some of them are better than others. Some of them are really bad where they basically are saying like, there's two groups and there is like a high TV watching group. And there's a low TV watching group. And let's look at the the differences in academic achievement between these two groups as an example. But then when you look at those two groups, there's all these other differences between them that we know also are related to academic achievement. And so we're saying, oh, yes, the screen time between these groups is different, but there's a bunch of other stuff that's different too. And so we can't say, oh, it's about the screen time. And it makes it really complicated to study something like this because there's very few things where there's a single variable in in a child's development that's going to make or break something one way or the other. Right, right. So that's one thing is what is the difference between these groups? The other thing is, you know, how they're measuring the groups to begin with. Like a lot of the research, there is the hours that they're in the high group are really high. Like it's like three to five hours of screens a day. Mm-hmm. And so that to extrapolate that study to a parent that's saying like, hey, can my kids watch 30 minutes a day? Like, can we say it's the same? Like right. there's part of me that would say probably not. We know that quality matters. So a lot of the studies don't even talk about what they're doing on screens, right? let alone the fact that now there are so many educational apps for reading, for math, for, you know, all writing, all types of things, including reading books online. There are all sorts of things around that. There is almost no research, none on, you know, is this type of screen time different than, you know, watching Caillou versus watching Dora the Explorer versus Sesame Street versus watching kids open toys on YouTube. (laughs) There's there's so much new media. This is how we know you're a mom, right? (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think about even my day today. Let me let me break down for you. I've been in front of a screen for five hours Uh already today, and then like kids will come home later and I will probably do some screen time, maybe with a glass of wine, maybe not after they go to bed. What I do all day on a screen versus the real housewives that I'm going to watch today when the kids go to sleep, worlds apart, (laughs) right? Therapy clients, podcast interviews, 
connecting with people, business yeah. meetings, like all of these various things that are currently through a screen, you know, exactly entirely exactly. worlds apart in terms of the content or what's happening. Exactly. And the truth of the matter is when it comes to the research and the literature with that level of specificity, we don't have it right now. Mm -hmm. We don't. Hasn't been done. We don't know it. There's some preliminary research again that's showing kids can learn skills from educational apps. And, you know, there is the asterisks. Are they learning as well as in person? But then there's a whole host of variables around that in terms of, well, which online application and what does their in-person option look like? And I think, again, like it's so many variables to hold constant. But a lot of the research out there, when, when people say these sweeping things, like, you know, I think the biggest problem is correlation. We're, we're talking about screen time, but I think there's often other big differences between the groups. And there's also some studies that push back on that and say, particularly for older kids, if there's anything we can take away in the negative column, it's that kids, there does seem to be some solid evidence that kids, particularly kids under one, the opportunity cost of an extraordinary amount of screen time can be high. And it can delay their language and things like that because they're not learning. I would say like that's where the research, if there's any like scary research that's strong, it's there. Under one, spending hours and hours in front of a screen. Right. Yeah, which we would, I mean, we would expect. Like there's only so many days kids are awake, even older kids, that kids are awake. And if they're spending five hours on a screen... Yeah, they're not doing other things. They're not looking at. Well, and I think about a one-year-old. Like I think about my one-year-olds. I couldn't keep them freaking still. They were dumping out of the cupboard. Like they're not even necessarily interested in screens for that Mm -hmm. duration of time. Anyhow, it's Mm -hmm. more my older kids that will actually sit and take in a storyline that I find screen time, and they're asking for it. And there's more like tantrums off of screen time, which maybe we'll also talk about in a moment. But. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I don't know that one-year-olds are even really that capable of ingesting that much screen time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like there was one, there was a study that came out looking at like six month olds and phone exposure and like language development later that showed like, you know, it wasn't great. And it's like, well, but what else is happening if a six month old has like this high level of a phone exposure? Like what else does their environment look like that could be contributing to that and like what does it mean you know what might it be and like a lot of these samples are small right um, particularly the brain one that came out and it's hard because it came out in a very well-regarded journal that is highly respected but it's it was a study of 47 kids that's not it's not that's not a big sample and it was looking at screen time and it was comparing kids who had what they concluded was high levels of screen time, which I I believe was over three hours, like average of three hours a day, and then low levels, which was like very different. So again, missing information on the middle ground. Mm -hmm. And they also took um, fMRIs on, on their brains and they showed that there was some structural differences in their brains. Well, what's interesting is that I think that freaks people out because it's like pictures of their brains, but nothing said the television caused 
these differences. It's still a correlation, not right. Right. Still, it still could be that something else in that child's environment accounts for that brain difference that has nothing to do with screen time. Oh my goodness. And when we think about what we know about trauma and early childhood experiences and things within the home, other things that have impacts on children's brains, right? Right. Like there, there are so many other variables or possibilities that can be contributing to that. I'm not saying that all of those people had trauma, blah, blah, blah. But you know what I mean? Like there are other variables there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think that that's the thing. Like we should be, we should be critical about like, does this really mean that? And I, and that's not to say, oh, like, oh, eight hours a day is probably fine. Like, I think that there's some common sense of like, you know, yeah. And when we, when we find that our kids are asking for it all the time, instead of like, go play with your Legos or go do something else. And then we have to manage that from a behavioral perspective. There are other considerations. And I think just like, you know, conversations we have around kids with mindful eating and saying like, hey, the kids that we say like absolutely no sugar, they don't fare better than the kids that we teach them to be intuitive and, and, and that all foods are good. And I think that also doesn't mean it's like, don't, you don't have to eat anything but sugar. Like there is a reasonable ground that comes around giving kids agency and utilizing some common sense as a parent and respecting balance and understanding opportunity cost, both for yourself and for your child. And so I think it's, it's landing somewhere between like, yeah, we don't want to necessarily say, you know, it's a free for all. You can sit in front of your screen all the time to the detriment of them doing other things. At the same time, I don't think we should go too tight on it at the detriment of our sanity as parents. Because the evidence isn't that strong that in my mind that it's harmful for kids to have a bit of screen time. And I think that the research that shows this harm is for younger kids and in extreme doses. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. 
ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. For younger kids, or when you're talking about, you know, going to extremes, in a pandemic, it it, it was a free-for-all. Moms disproportionately over dads were dealing with working from home while minding children and trying to do school. Mm-hmm. If you were in the five hour to eight hours green time category to live life as a sane parent, we do what we have to do to survive, knowing that those are not norms and things that are going to be ongoing and consistent, like a blip on sort of the timeline in my mind that is so vast and bigger than just this, you know, whether it's a year we've spent doing this or six months or whatever, is something that we've had to do out of survival mode. And Absolutely. now coming out of that space, some places more than others. And, and we've actually cycled in and out of that lockdown Mm -hmm. in Toronto, we can start to create norms that I don't know if it's emphasize moderation or like teach the right skills around, like you said, it's not like a dieting culture. It's not, we're on the wagon or off the wagon. We're no screen time or on screen time. Like what does a moderate amount of screen time look like? And not that we're striving for some perfection sort of amount. Yeah. But what does that, what does that start to look like? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting and I, you know, it's funny because I'm the first to be sort of critical around the AAP and the World Health Organization and say like the problem with those guidelines is that they're not they're not matching what's actually happening in the world. Like right Right. now they're saying, okay, under one 
no screen time, the recommendation from the AAP and the World Health Organization is roughly no more than one hour a day for kids older, for kids two to five. Oh, okay. Maybe one hour a day. And then when they get older, there's less guidance and clarity around that. And so parents ask me, like, do you agree with that? What do you think? And like, what's interesting is that there's a common sense media study that showed uh, in reality, kids under two are on screens an average of 42 minutes a day. And two to four-year-olds are on screens about two and a half hours a day is the average. And so Mm -hmm. we know that like what's actually happening is not what they're saying the guidelines should be. And I am hesitant to like give a perfect number. And I also think that it'll probably change day to day. It'll change based on circumstance. Totally. Based on day of the week and the age of the child. And I think we have to think about all of those things and be careful. Yeah. And I think that you brought up a really valid point around, okay, well, what are some of the behavioral things that we might be on the lookout for in terms of that might be signs that we should limit? Like, so here, here is my approach. Pretty like with the kids, we do our evening rhythm of our shows and like we have a rhythm that probably, I don't even know where it falls. Actually, I'm sure it varies too, depending on what's going on in life. But there are behavioral things that start to come out around screen time that we have boundaries around. And, and that is sort of causes us to pause and sort of reevaluate and and change things. So like wild tantruming coming off of screens, that's a really common thing actually that I've heard from a lot of parents is that, I don't know, I know that you've worked a lot with like parent consulting and things like that. Is that a a common thing that you have also Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of I love, and I'm sure you love this too. Like when you can work with a parent one-on-one, I absolutely had parents that would say like, I'm so guilty about this in the throes of the pandemic. And I would say, well, like, what are you guilty about? I just know it's not best for them. Okay. Let's realistically talk about your other options. Is there any other, any other thing that we could be doing? And like, Sometimes there were little things that we could tweak here and there, but particularly in the throes of the pandemic, the answer was you are doing the best thing for your child by allowing you to do your work and providing for your family so you can keep your job. Like, and frankly, what we need to be doing is having a conversation with employers. That's a completely different conversation, but it's putting mothers in this impossible, impossible choice. And I'm saying, look, a short period of time and a blip on the radar, you are doing the right thing for them by making this choice in this extremely unique circumstance that is choosing between your livelihood and and your child watching screens. Like it's your livelihood. And the, the research isn't a slam dunk that would say this is going to damage your kid for a short period of time. It's fine. Can I just say that it makes me so angry it makes me so angry that moms have to feel guilty for doing what they need to do to survive. Like exactly. something like screen time, like we're not talking, we're out like, you know, abusing, doing like crazy. Exactly. But no, it's not, it's not, we are using a screen that adds value even potentially, right? Absolutely. On the programming. And yet we were made to feel guilty or we feel guilty about it. Like that makes me angry for moms. Mm-hmm as if we're not carrying enough pressure and societal expectation, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. 
And, you know, I would say in a lot of, I talked to so many mothers who had incredibly, um, some had really supportive workplaces, but a lot did not. Mm-hmm. And were not in a place where they had another choice and wanted to know, like, am I ruining my kid forever? And I'm like, no, like there's not evidence that that is true. You know, if you want to feel a notch better, like here are some apps that have, you know, good validation or here are some programs that we might consider to be like better. But if if you also have, you know, a super important meeting and you know that they're going to sit quietly watching kids open, you know, packages on YouTube, like by all means, there's just no research that shows that's going to ruin them. And, you know, what are the other things that are happening outside? Like it's all this nuance around it. So I think, I think there's that. I think in terms of signs, you know, one, it's opportunity cost. If it becomes like, I know in my own home around the pandemic with my daughter, I was in the, I was in the same place. Like it was insanity. And I was working full time and trying, you know, homeschooling her full time. And it was crazy, just like everybody. And there was absolutely a lot of screens. And I think it was interesting to see on the weekend, I felt like it became a habit for her. Like, okay, you know, I have this downtime. This is what I'm going to do. Particularly after, as you know, I have an eight month old that I had Mm -hmm. an infant. I I had another baby in June. And so when the newborn baby were in pandemic times and it was the natural go-to. And so, and it was funny because I was of the mindset and when she was younger, I didn't put a ton of very rigid restrictions around it because I felt like that then it made it the forbidden fruit. Mm. Or if it was like just one of the many options, there was less obsessiveness about it. In the pandemic, having an infant, I found myself being like, I have a really important meeting. I need you to sit next to me and be quiet, particularly in those early months. So I I was proactively offering it. Mm -hmm. And I found that it did, I felt like become more of a habit. So then I needed to shift. I wanted to shift. And Mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, on the weekends, I'm going to set limits that feel comfortable and realistic for me and match my family and what I can do right now. And that's like one movie or, you know, and and that's going to be it. And that's what you can pick, you know, one each day. And that was a change. That was a cutback from where we had been. And there was absolutely an escalation of like, what do you mean? Like I was, there was times where I was just taking my iPad and going into my room and like watching whatever I wanted to watch. And I was like, yeah. We're going to have new rules around this because I think that we're just not thinking about all the other options that we have. And like, there was absolutely times where she was like, I'm bored. And I made the choice and had the ability because of my support system, because of where I was to withstand, to, to, to be able to sustain through her being mad about that and right. saying, I'm bored and I can't do it. And I was able to say like, I'm sorry you know, go find something else to do. Well, I think that this really speaks to like a, an important point. And this probably could be an entire episode in itself, but our capacity, right? <laughs> our capacity in the day went into like, when we're in mid peak pandemic time, like the yeah. deficit, like we dropped through the floor in terms of capacity and all the things we were managing. And so our capacity on those days and and how we have to juggle things looks different than maybe coming out of that place. And what does that look like? And I work with clients one-on-one 
to actually attune to their capacity day to day. Like there is no finite, like this, what worked for me today is going to work for me tomorrow. It ebbs and flows because our capacity is tethered to things like a pandemic, to our children. Before we were autonomous human beings and we weren't really tethered to anybody else that was drawing on our capacity all the time. So these pieces really play into how we use technology as a tool in our home, mm-hmm. right? And right now we have weekends are our heavy technology and we do Simon Says and we play games and we've got toys and, and all of those things, but they're heavy technology because we're in a freaking deep freeze right now. Yeah. And going out for walks, everyone's just going to complain and someone's going to flop around like a fish and I'm yeah. going to probably be ragey and that's not a thing I want to sign up for, but it's not always going to be that way. Springs around the corner and we will get outside on our weekends. So yeah. seeing it as a tool, recognizing our capacity, if we have the capacity to really put the screens away and get out and move our bodies and do other things that day, then let's opt for that. We've got the right. capacity that day. Yeah. If we don't, you know, what can we do to maybe recharge ourselves? What's some self-care yeah. or realistically kind of what are our options at that point, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think similarly, like I'll talk to parents and sometimes I'll say like, I'm really stressed about the screens. And then I'll start down this path of, you know, helping, okay, you know, do you want to drop a contract? Do you want to talk about scheduling in the time? Do you want to, and occasionally I'll have a parent that's like, I can feel the resistance. And I'm like, well, when we dig underneath that, it's like, oh, I'm actually not, that's not going to serve me right now. I'm not more stressed or I'm then going to be more ragey trying to keep this pressure or this extra expectation. Exactly. And then I can very happily and truthfully say, look, there is not evidence that this is so damaging that at the opportunity cost of your sanity and happiness, this Mm -hmm. is more damaging. No. You know, let's talk about if there are ways which in the middle of the pandemic are extremely limited to free up some capacity to give you some of that where where you feel like if there are changes that you want to make, that you do feel like you have the capacity to do that. But if it's not the right time to do that, let me alleviate you of the guilt that you are ruining them by making this choice that is actually, again, the right choice for you right now. Right. Yeah. I'm like doing this like inventory in my head right now. <laughs> of So like my, my youngest, who's two, he's like, eh. Like he knows that like we wind down with the show before bed. So he'll like sit and like ask for the TV on. But for the most part, he is Paw Patrol, Adventure Bay, like, uh-huh. you know. So not a lot of TV time at his age group. And then my four-year-old can give or take screen time, you know, depending on what his brothers are doing, kind of. And then the oldest, like, he's really the one, like, he's now into Mario and really wants to play Minecraft. And now he hasn't played Mario on the Wii in a couple of weeks. And he wanted to miss the bus or the buses to be canceled today so he could come early and have Mario time. Like, he is incentivized by screen time at Uh this point, right? Which... We'll give him like he has that Mario in two weeks. He's so excited for it to be the weekend so he can play Mario. Um, so I feel like navigating screens at an older age potentially could be a whole different conversation for us because I I do think that I could see him very easily just wanting to play Mario day in and day out with no like if he had no yeah. boundaries he wouldn't put any boundaries on them himself right like yeah. I could see that being a struggle that we're gonna 
you know, encounter with him as he gets older. But this whole idea and belief and guilt and pressure that we are carrying on our shoulders as moms that screens are damaging, screens are hurting children, you know, you need to feel guilt for the amount of screen time that's happening is really makes me angry, makes me upset for parents in a pandemic. And it's not what any parent wants to be doing, right? No, I, and I think guilt is ex- extraordinarily unfair and it's not warranted, but it's very sensational. I mean, that this is a trick that's played on mothers mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways, particularly mothers, parents in general, that I think the guilt is exploited, frankly. Mm-hmm. And moms end up being extremely hard on themselves because it's sensational to say like, oh, you're rotting your child's brain and TVs are changing their brains. And like, I, right. I you know. And it, it, as we've talked about, it's not just with screens. I think it's with so many things that, but I agree with you. It's massively unfair and yeah, it's not fully warranted. There's one piece um, as we're thinking about closing here that comes to my mind that I do want to put out there for moms is that if you feel like screen time is your only tool, and, and I want to talk about this from my own perspective postpartum, when I was going through depression and anxiety, I would get to a point in the day, usually by like 10 a.m. where one freaking thing would go wrong in the day. And because I was already at such capacity, I would check out, like I would zone out and I would have a hard time myself just functioning because of where I was at postpartum. And if screen time is our one and only tool, then I would really lovingly and gently encourage you to speak to a therapist or speak to your doctor because it shouldn't feel that way. You know, it doesn't have to feel that way. I've lived that experience and, you know, realized after I came out of that, that there were other skills, like it didn't have to be the way that it was, you know? So for anyone who feels like that is their only go-to answer, there are, are other skills and other ways to find support. Or if you feel like you wake up and you're already at capacity, uh, and you can't roll with little things that happen in the day. These yeah. types of things are like little red flags or little things that pique my attention when I'm working with clients because um, then we might be talking postpartum depression or anxiety or something else underlying, which makes so much sense mm-hmm. in a pandemic, in postpartum and all of those things. So just that little kind of disclaimer and nudge out there that if you're feeling that way, don't hesitate to get help and We have a community on Facebook, you know, I have Instagram page, DM, whatever you need to do to sort of find that support. Uh, Postpartum Support International actually is a really great place to start. They have a text line and you can text them and say like, does this sound like postpartum depression or something? You can find resources even just via text if you're scared to reach out. So there's a piece of that there. And Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us. I love that you bring the realness around the research and that you can interpret it. Cause like you said, I'm one of those people who will like fall asleep the first <laughs> abstract. I'm like, this is all just like, what are we even talking about yet? <laughs> so I appreciate um, you being able to come and interpret the research for us and the facts for us. So thank you for your time. Absolutely. Anytime. And where can people find you and what are you up to online these days? Because you are like the co-founder of a really exciting program that's also technology-based, ironically. So yes, yeah. So now, as we talked about before, I'm a child psychologist by training and I still see some families and, and work with families locally in the DC area. But right now with 
so much concern and worry around education. My energy is being thrown into an early literacy program and we are building a tool that uses speech recognition to help children with early literacy. So leveraging technology for kids as they learn to read. And we're really excited about that. We've thought a lot about screens. And so I've been thinking about this a lot the last few months and how to make them most effective for kids. And we're building an app called Ello and it uses real books, which is kind of fun. And kids then get their hands on books while also reading and getting support while they're learning to read. So if people want to check that out, they can look at um, helloello.com. I love that. I love the name of that. And I think that screens are here to stay. They're not yeah. going anywhere. No. And how do we make like the most value in the screen time that we're using as possible? Yeah. Right? Like, and even the programming that make it, they learn so much. So I think that embracing that they're, they're here, they're not going anywhere. And there's so much that can be gained from them. Yeah. really frees us up from that all or nothing, you know, Thank we're doing you. some kind of harm. Yeah. So. yeah. Exactly. So thank you. Thank you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.